Hey, everybody. With the Consumer Technology Association, I'm Tyler Suters. We are the owners and the producers of CES, the world's largest, most influential tech event. And we are here to help you get CES ready. The next show is January 7th through the 10th, 2020, in Las Vegas, as always. And today we're talking about vehicle technology, a key area at CES. The show features the world's leading auto manufacturers, self-driving demos, smart mobility solutions, and, and so much more. But today our focus around vehicle tech isn't just on the auto companies that are wowing us with technology that's already on the road, coming to the road soon, or even some of the concept vehicles we see. Today we're going off the road and onto the farm and also onto the water, if you can believe that. So two companies that are relatively new to exhibiting at CES. One is Brunswick Corporation, 175 years old. And think of that name, Brunswick. It goes back to billiards and bowling. But now this is a marine transportation company, boating. But it's also an innovation and technology company. And alongside Brunswick today, we're talking to John Deere, who's coming up on its second year exhibiting at CES. Remember last year's eye-catching self-driving farm equipment display? Well, John Deere is a company that is more than 180 years old, but another example of what you think of as an agriculture company that is really overall a technology company now at its heart. So today, a conversation about vehicle technology in its many forms and also venues on CES Tech Talk. Joining us now from John Deere's Intelligent Solutions Group is Dr. Julian Sanchez. He is Director of Precision Agriculture and Business Development, but I can shorten that, Julian, to say you've got to have one of the coolest jobs in the, I'd say in the building, but the multiple buildings at John Deere. This is a remarkable sector for the company. Uh, it really is, and uh, it's the sector that uh, has grown the most within the company in the last uh, in the last ten years. And um, uh, for sure, I have one of the coolest jobs in the company. But I can tell you, um, there are others that work in my sector that would uh, would want to compete with me for that title or of the coolest job. So there are plenty of very cool jobs at Deere right now. So. John Deere uh, debuted at CES at the 2019 show, and in talking with with folks from your company beforehand, Julian, one of the interesting aspects to me was the fact that what seems to perhaps other sectors uh, to be uh, you know a big splash for a company like John Deere in the uh, self driving or connected tech sectors is something that John Deere has actually been doing. For more than a decade now, this is not new for you all as uh, an innovation strategy or a company growth strategy, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So, um, I mean, if you go back to the early 2000s, 2002, um, we released uh, our first uh, self-driving technology to market, and uh, we've continued to uh, help farmers uh, adopt those capabilities uh, for nearly the last two decades. Um and then uh, really the last uh, eight years or so, we've also um, been uh, been at the forefront of, of connectivity in agriculture. And that is where uh, all, all agricultural vehicles that are out there now doing uh, important jobs um, are, uh, are streaming data, agronomic data and machine data in, in, in real time. And so the coolest thing about all this stuff is that 
Um, you know, there's that old adage of uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Um, you know, for for as long as we remember, uh, farmers have been demanding uh, these types of technologies. They're trying to they're trying to do more with less. They're trying to farm better. They're trying to farm more effectively. And so the the, the self driving aspect of that, as well as the connectivity over the last couple of decades have been uh, outcomes of, of, of farmers, again, demanding uh, these types of technologies to allow them to farm and, and do their jobs better. So pulling out part of your title, Jillian, precision agriculture, um, I think it's to some degree clear how self-driving vehicles uh, can adapt and advance that approach. What about connectivity and also AI? Uh, in terms of the roles they play for precision agriculture and what John Deere has going on on you know, small and large-scale farms across the country right now. Yeah, and, and, and let me actually just uh, emphasize that that term first, uh, precision agriculture, mm-hmm. because it really will help me explain why connectivity and AI are so important. Um, the way I think about it, it's very simple. It's, you know, if, if I, if, if a farmer could spend... of their energy and effort and time caring for one plant in their farm, right? That's, that's as precise as it could get, right? Mm -hmm. Even if they're farming 5,000, 10,000 acres, if they could spend a whole year just worried about that one plant with the most level of precision, you, you would be, you would make a pretty, be safe making a good bet that, um, that that plant would be very healthy and would just have, uh, amazing output in terms of, in terms of yield. So the, the essence of precision agriculture as a term is how do we, uh, enable a farmer to do that, to care for each individual plant at scale, right? Across, uh, several thousand or several hundred acres. So, so, so that's what we're really after, uh, both farmers and, and, and companies like John Deere, is to, to unlock the value there of, of being able to farm that way. Um, connectivity uh, is a key element of enabling that because we now can basically document what is happening to each plant uh, in real time as, as jobs are being done in the field uh, with either uh, a planter, which is laying the seed down in very specific spots, or as we're applying nutrients for the plant, we can document exactly what nutrients each plant received and when and in, under what conditions. Um, and so that, that connectivity allows the farmer to get a sense of what is happening in their farm with that level of precision in real time. So, You've gone from being able to, as a farmer, being able to make decisions, you know, maybe at the end of the season to essentially being able to make decisions in real time that could that that could result in an adjustment in a practice that uh, has a significant impact on uh, on on the yield of, of their crops. So that's the connectivity part. The artificial intelligence aspect of this is. I always like to describe farming as, um, if we talked about it in mathematical terms, it's like trying to balance a seven or eight or sometimes ten variable equation, um, and and some of the variables are are unknown uh, unknown variables. So it's a it's a very difficult thing where you're basically almost chasing a moving target. 
because there's so much variability within farming, including, of course, Mother Nature, right? Mm-hmm. So even though we have good weather prediction tools now, weather is always changing and uh, farmers are always sort of trying to chase that, uh, that moving target with weather. So the value of artificial intelligence um, in, in, in agriculture is that we now have a tool or a set of tools that allow us to better deal with that variance and give the farmer better better ability to predict and and have intelligence on the farm that helps them kind of narrow that variance of that cone of variance they're dealing with and make much more informed predictions. Mm-hmm. So the crop yield is, is is an excellent point, and to carry out your example, Julian, of of, of a single plant getting very specific, individualized, tailored attention. How does that then take the other side of the equation, if you will? And that is doing it at scale and increasing the efficiency of high yield production, right? Being able to micromanage not a single stalk of corn, but you know, acres upon acres upon acres of those. Yeah, correct. So it's it's this uh, this really really interesting balance between having. Um, Lots and lots of data. Um, you know, in some ways, uh, many farmers have become uh, uh, data analysts or data specialists and, and experts in geospatial concepts because uh, the the connectivity and the ability to document uh, what is happening with each plant at such a such a uh, granular level has uh, enabled them to think about how to care for each plant. And so at the same time, the balance of, of that area of managing that, da- that very, very uh, uh, spatial granular data um, is we, we also then have to provide farmers with machinery uh, that is able to execute at that level um, of, of precision but do so faster and and with the same amount of accuracy and uh, and productivity than ever before, right? Mm-hmm. So one one interesting example there is um, there's a, a planter technology called uh, Exact Emerge, and uh, it uses uh, uh, electric uh, motors to as as a planter is going through the field and putting each seed on the ground. Um, it allows the, uh, the the planter to put each seed with with extreme level of precision. It's almost like trying to hit basically a target the size of a quarter while moving through the field at ten miles per hour, hmm. right? And and that type of technology has just come into the market over the last few years. You know, a few years ago, the fastest uh, farmer could travel through the field would be about five miles per hour. Now they can do it at 10 miles per hour with the same level of precision. Um, there's uh, similar examples in the application space, so applying nutrients. Uh, there's a, a technology called Exact Apply, which um, in a sprayer that has a, a boom of a width of 120 feet end-to-end, you can control every single little nozzle in that sprayer to, to hit exactly the precise spots in the field that are needed uh, that needed to, that need uh, uh, nutrition, um, and so so again, it's basically 
leveraging the data to understand what needs to be done with that level of precision, but providing the farmer with um, more productive technology, more productive machines that are able to execute that job at the at scale. So let's get into the wheelhouse now, Julian, uh, of John Deere, as, as many of us think about it. That is the manufacturing, right? The, the product, the tangible vehicles that you all are churning out. And uh, maybe the most eye-catching display at CES 2019, and, and certainly, to rephrase that, one of the largest products we've ever seen at CES was uh, an example of your self-driving farming equipment. Um, how is that evolving even in just the last year uh, in terms of use, efficiency, and what lies ahead in the next five or 10 years? Uh, it continues to evolve rapidly. So uh, even just in the last year, we released uh, a product to market that uh, doesn't just uh, help the farmers uh, steer in very precise straight lines, but is able to execute uh, turns at the edges of the field so that you turn around and then come back. And it does all of that uh, automatically. Uh, just spoke to a farmer about a month ago in North Dakota that said, hey, uh, just planted a 400 acre field and uh, never, never once touched the steering wheel of my tractor. Um, <laughs> so we continue to push the envelope there in that, in that self-driving uh, capability. Uh, we're also really, really, really focused right now on helping farmers automate the job, the job of farming. So again, there is the steering aspect of it, which is very important, but, but just as important and in some cases much more important, the farmer wants to know that the job that is being done by the machine right? Nobody goes tractoring in a field. People go farming, <laughs> right? So the job that is being done by the machine is, is extremely precise and extremely well done. And uh, we are excited to be back at CES this year um, to, uh, to highlight all of the technologies that, uh, that we're implementing uh, to help farmers continue to do that. In addition to the, to the self-driving, we're going to have a, a couple of farmers actually at the booth with us uh, we, we thought it was important uh, to continue to share the message with the tech community of why agriculture is such an important domain for technology. So, again, our farmers are going to be there telling that story with us and side-by-side uh, and -side, uh, highlighting the, 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 the latest technologies that are helping, um, helping all of this uh, move ahead. So, yeah, please come by and see us at CES. Uh, I, I promise you it will be, again, one of the one of the best, if not the best booth in the show, hopefully. <laughs> Keeping expectations low there, Julian, of course. Um, you have an interesting perspective on the show in that you are a CES veteran, certainly, but you have not always attended the show and viewed uh, displays and engagements through the lens of John Deere, right? You've been with, with other companies in attendance. Um, what's the value now you see for John Deere in this marketplace with, with these connections, with this particular audience? Yeah, uh, we, we are a technology company. And so uh, for us, when we look at CES, that is the, the, the technology show globally. And so... Um, you know, we realized that uh, as a technology company, we, we simply just uh, have to participate in, uh, in, 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 the, in the narrative. Um, and so from one perspective, we, uh, we feel it's critical to, um, 
to, to go tell the story of agriculture to the rest of the tech community. Um, some, some of it is uh, unknown and the complexities and, and the interesting problems that exist in agriculture to be solved uh, are, are unknown or not well known uh, to the rest of the tech community. So we're there to do that. And then we're there also to uh, to engage with the rest of the tech community. Last last year, just uh, just being at the booth uh, most of the week, um, it was uh, it was incredibly valuable for myself and for all of us of us from John Deere to uh, to engage with all of the other tech companies and and, and share ideas right then and there about how we can continue to uh, improve uh, technology in this uh, very important sector. All right, last question, Julian. Quick, quick, quick aside. Uh, what is the other aspect of the show that you might be able to sneak off and check out? I assume you're going straight for the vehicle technology sector, right? And self-driving, but maybe, uh, maybe I'm projecting this on you too much. Yeah, so, so certainly always go there. Um, you know, I actually uh, spend a lot of time myself going and looking for uh, uh, any and all technologies that are that are called sensor technology. So anybody doing uh, work with cameras, even if they're not applying it to automotive, um, you know, even if it's just for uh, entertainment and taking videos, uh, I feel like uh, uh, tracking that industry in that space always uh, provides me personally with a lot of valuable insights about where where the broader space of uh, sensor technology uh, is headed. So uh, last year, yep, went and checked out all the 360 cameras and uh, <laughs> thought that was kind of an interesting uh, emerging trend last year. I'm looking forward to seeing if it's, uh, if it's progressed or if it's uh, about the same this year. Yeah, scouting secrets from a CES veteran. Dr. Julian Sanchez is Director of Precision Agriculture and Business Development at John Deere's Intelligent Solutions Group. And Julian, great conversation. Uh, let's pick it up again in Las Vegas in January. What do you say? Let's do it. Look forward to it. With us now is Dave Folks. He is CEO of Brunswick Corporation. Yes, in the past it was a bowling and billiards company, but now so much more. And Dave, first of all, thank you for joining us. And second of all, is it fair to call Brunswick a transportation company now? Uh, yeah, you know, I think we, we are in, uh, we're in recreational boating and, uh, that's part of, uh, I guess mobility, uh, transportation, certainly absolutely. Uh, what is it about technology today that is driving your sector, your recreational boating sector, um, to use that semi-formal term, um, what are the techs that really have you excited about where this is propelling your company, uh, and your industry, both literally and figuratively, I suppose? No, that, that, that's right. So, uh, you know, I think <clears throat> a lot of the trends that you see across other verticals um, are manifesting themselves in, in our business and, and generally in our industry. So we like the the ACES uh, acronym, the Autonomy, Connectivity, Electrification, and Shared Access, mm-hmm. because I think it, it certainly captures the vectors of, of development uh, in our industry as well as uh, in others. So for us, you know, as a recreational boating um, business, uh, autonomy for us is less about disengaging a driver and more about engaging them in a way that makes boating uh, somewhat more intuitive. For us, operating the boat is part of the experience and not something you want to be disengaged from. But there are elements of boating, like docking, uh, that are more stressful than others. And so... 
Okay, we've been progressing along a path of introducing things like joystick control of boats, GPS station keeping, autopilot, and we recently demonstrated uh, self-docking. So autonomy plays uh, a big role in our space. It's a very real part of bringing people into the industry and, and making uh, boating more accessible and intuitive. To, to what and extent, then, Dave, I'm sorry, if, I, if we could stick on uh, autonomy for a second and, and the self-driving aspect, when you look at the auto sector, for example, and discuss self-driving yeah. technology, safety is such a major factor. Maybe the number one uh, driver uh, or, or, or identifier in terms of the need for this technology on uh, a widespread scale. To what extent is safety an element in recreational boating and, and, and Brunswick's uh, priority list? Yeah, it's a huge um, element of our um, approach and our development. Uh, safety broadly, of course. But in terms of um, close-quarter maneuvering of a boat, obviously uh, the easier that we can uh, make that, uh, the less likely there are to be uh, you know, boat-to-object uh, collisions. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a significant um, uh, piece of development for us, and we're already well along the path towards uh, making things like docking easier. But then open water collision avoidance um, mm -hmm. is, is uh, certainly a, a big opportunity for us. If you think about the marine environment compared with the automotive environment, first of all, a boat has six degrees of freedom uh, versus a, kind of two in a, in a, in a car. And uh, we have a much less structured environment. So, you know, not so many road signs and, and uh, lane markings and, you know, parking space markings. <laughs> so there's a lot of opportunity, uh, you know, for, for interpretation in the industry. And, and those are the situations where we can, uh, we can use technology uh, and connectivity uh, to make uh, life somewhat easier for the boaters. Well, that's a great touch point to delve into connectivity. The, the C in your ACES, A-C-E-S, uh, strategy at Brunswick. Because once you get into broad connectivity, then you're talking about a network, not just of the vehicles themselves, but infrastructure, et cetera. Where does that start, and, and how far out does that go uh, in, in your mind, Dave? Well, all of our um, larger boats, 25 feet and above, uh, now go out as connected products, if you like. So it's not an option. It's part of what you get when you, you buy one of the boats. And so connectivity for a, a lot of our boats are, are kept away from um, the owner. So at a marina, for example, mm -hmm. where um, connectivity helps by allowing you to remotely monitor the health of the boat, the condition of the boat, even geofence your boat so that uh, you, know, you can be sure exactly where it is. Uh, so um, every boat that we sell above 25 feet comes with an app that allows you to monitor every system on the boat remotely and has GPS, et cetera. Beyond that, though, um, with the owner's permission, the boat will connect itself to its nearest dealer. And um, in, in that process, uh, the dealer is able to, or the boat is able to share with the dealer a kind of diagnostics, prognostics uh, on the system. Boats, especially large boats, um, fairly complicated. You know, they, t they have multiple engines uh, often. They have a lot of onboard systems, electrical controls, water management, those kind of things, a lot of electronics. So it's important that we, um, that we make dealers and their technicians as effective as possible 
by by allowing them the best diagnostic information uh, prior to their engaging with a customer or a boat. Uh, I've I've heard it said, Dave, that uh, your products are essentially well. I shouldn't say essentially, but are to some extent floating digital displays. So technology is inherent into the products you're making and putting on the water in and of itself, correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if you if you have a chance to experience the modest boat, you will find, uh, you know, cross between an aircraft and a house, if you like, uh, <laughs> multiple digital displays that include radar, sonar, um, and uh, chart plotting with very sophisticated electronic control of all the engines, with uh, GPS station keeping that allows you to hold a boat stationary in the presence of wind and current. Of course, it's unlike in a car, if you take your hands off uh, the throttle and the, and the wheel of a boat, it doesn't stay still, typically mm-hmm. it moves. So we have to have active control to keep a boat stationary. And then almost all of these boats have um, some form of autopilot on board that allows you to undertake you know, longer distances in some kind of uh, prescribed way. So they are very uh, contemporary and sophisticated devices. And our objective is to make them as integrated and intuitive to the operators as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we've referenced the auto sector a number of times already, Dave, and you have uh, deep experience in in that area of the economy, um, twenty plus years, including time at, at Ford, you know it well. And I have to assume that's part of the impetus, your your experience with with, with the auto sector, that drives uh, the E in your ACE strategy, right? The electrification, something we hear about at a fleet level broadly on automobiles. This is a bit new, it seems, in the recreational boating sector. Yeah, I think you know there are a couple of aspects of. Um, electrification, if you like, in marine that are particularly um, interesting. One of the um, the differences between marine and uh, automotive is that most reasonable sized boats consume a lot of power. Uh, obviously, moving through the water consumes a lot more um, energy than moving through air. And boats don't have brakes, so you know you can't recover the energy uh, as readily as you can in in a car. So. Electrification of propulsion is the physics are just more difficult. So electrification of propulsion is progressing into the industry, but only right now, I would say, somewhat on the edges with small boats, um, small distances, well-understood duty cycles. For larger boats, a lot of the electrification is really in uh, the other subsystems beyond propulsion. So a lot of larger boats, uh, we'll have a uh, an onboard generator, another internal combustion engine that generates power for the boat. And what uh, the opportunity we have there is to use modern um, battery technology and switching systems um, to replace that generator with a much more integrated uh, high capacity energy storage um, system. And we actually have uh, marine battery technology companies within Brunswick. Uh, that are working towards that objective. Mm-hmm. Uh, your final point in the strategy is shared access, and you touched mm-hmm. on mobility earlier. Um, mm-hmm. This is a multi-pronged approach. What what direction do you see this going in, or, or are you driving toward, Dave? Well, the, the way that share, shared access is manifesting itself really in, in recreational marine is a couple of models. Peer-to-peer is not quite so straightforward. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, for us, 
um, you know, unlike uh, mobility and automotive, which is really about getting from A to B, that is not a primary objective for us. Um, our objective is to get people on the water and enjoying their experience on the water. Um, so, it, you know, some interesting statistics. There are about 10 million uh, registered recreational boats in the U.S., but about 140 million people in the U.S. have some kind of boating experience every year. Mm-hmm. So if you if you think about those two numbers, obviously the 140 million people are not boating always on their own boat. It's a family boat, it's a friend's boat, it's a rental boat, it's a club boat. And what we are particularly working on right now is uh, boat clubs. Uh, and those boat clubs uh, for member fees allow people to not own a boat, but access a diverse fleet of boats on a kind of a membership basis. So we uh, we we own a, uh, a boat club called Freedom Boat Club, which is the largest boat club uh, anywhere in the world, in fact. In the U.S., there are about 200 locations. Some people pay membership fees, uh, and then uh, the boat is available to them in time. They reserve it on an app. It's ready when they arrive. It's cleaned when they depart, and they have the boating experience and the convenience of that uh, without necessarily going through the you know the process of ownership. Mm-hmm. We also provide boats into rental uh, organizations. So um, rental and club are the shared access models that are kind of in the ascendancy, I would say, in uh, in the marine industry versus you know more of the peer to peer activity that, that's present in some other verticals. Mm-hmm. But really, any way to get a younger generation into boating and to even capture people when they've owned a boat and maybe, you know, for various reasons, uh, no longer can. But keeping them in the boating lifestyle is is really important to us. So capturing the younger generation and, and then capture people potentially um, exiting boating. It's very rare that somebody comes off the street and buys a boat. It's usually, they usually buy a boat because they've had a great boating experience. And that's what we plan to provide uh, to encourage them into membership and potentially into ownership. Mm-hmm. So, taking these off across four fingers now, uh, autonomy mm-hmm. or, or, or self-driving mm-hmm. capability, connectivity, uh, electrification, shared access slash mobility. How mm-hmm. do you focus all of that into Brunswick's presence at, at CES 2020? You've been to the show a number of times, and I know you've seen a number of the, the major auto companies uh, focus like that. What's your approach for the upcoming show? Well, I think, you know, our, our approach, first of all, is, you know, I think we have an advantage here. I think, you know, seeing <clears throat> uh, seeing our products in the main hall will be a little bit of a surprise to people. They're impressive. They're exciting. I think there's something about a, uh, I'm not giving too much away, uh, a fast <laughs> boat, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting to people. So we'll be, uh, we'll be showing our products and you'll see a very contemporary product. In fact, the product that we have not uh, shown before mm-hmm. in the uh, in, in the form that it will be shown at CES. It will contain uh, all of the technologies that I've just described around electrification and uh, connectivity and some of those wonderful, uh, huge displays that, that you referenced uh, earlier that, that include radar and sharp plotting and so on and all those things. But you will also see a, a boat that provides a very contemporary experience. Whether it's something that you can, you know, share with your friends and family, a boat that will, uh, will take a lot of people out, will be, um, will be, you know, provide you with, with a, with an adventure for the day. 
Besides that, we will be showing uh, some of our other technologies that are evolving. And so you'll see what the next generation of boat might look like and what some of the technologies uh, might be on board there. And of course, we'll be showcasing uh, some of the shared access uh, models that I described earlier. But you will see, I think, a truly exciting display, very dynamic, uh, great product, but also a, a you know, nice glimpse into the future of uh, Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sorry to ask this while we're on the record, Dave, but uh, 20 plus years or so at Ford, uh, Brunswick currently has partnerships with BMW Design Works and AMG. Will you find a little bit of time to sneak over and check out the major auto exhibits at CES while you're in town? I always do. You know, it's so exciting for me to CES, I think, is, is such a wonderful event because it's about um, the components of technology, the systems of technology, and it's also about the application of technology. And you can you can find you know individual systems that interest you. I'm all, always interested in AR, VR, uh, and um, object identification and those kind of things. Um, but I'm tremendously inter- interested as well in how people are integrating them into something that adds value to the consumer. And uh, and that you know how people are doing that in the automotive provides tremendous insights to how we might move forward in uh, marine. Dave Folks is the CEO of Brunswick Corporation, not just a boating company or a recreational marine company, an innovation and technology company as well. Dave, a pleasure to talk to a CES veteran and a visionary as well, and can't wait to see you all pull back the curtain uh, at CES 2020. I am so excited. I am so excited. That was a wonderful call. Thank you so much for your time. I I am just uh, tremendously excited about the opportunity. And coming up next time on CES Tech Talk, the topic of digital health. Now, CES is the only venue where the entire digital health ecosystem comes together in a single place. We're talking about remote monitoring products, wearables, diagnostic solutions, these breakthrough technologies that are helping us be healthier and better informed, not just us being the patients, but also our doctors and caregivers. A deep dive on digital health. That's all next time on CES Tech Talk. Now, we want you to be CES ready, of course, so be sure to subscribe to the CES Tech Talk podcast. It's easy to do, and that way you won't miss a single episode as you're gearing up for the 2020 show in January. Speaking of, CES 2020 is January 7th through the 10th in Las Vegas. The information you need to prep up is at ces.tech. As always, none of this would be possible without our true stars, our executive producer, Tina Anthony, and our senior studio engineer, John Lindsay. You all are the very best in the business. I'm Tyler Suters. Let's talk tech again soon. <laughs>